Life, more than anything else, is about choices. All day long, we make constant choices. Some are big, some are small. But interestingly, we approach the big ones in the same way we approach the small ones sometimes, as if they're really no big deal. But a lot of our choices, indeed, in life are a big deal. Of course, another approach we take in our choices, often without realizing it, is many of our choices we make are in relation to our past. Because our past is often transferred forward and all of its pain, all of its problems get repeated over and over and over again. And let me say this is very much contrary to God's desire for us so that our past might be transformed so that we can become all that God has really created us to be. But for us to experience that, we have to begin trusting God for that. And then what do we have to do? Well, then we have to actually trust God with more than our words. Trust can be a very funny thing for us, can it? It can be very much a slippery slope because we all want to trust so much, don't we? But we've also experienced that other side of trust, trust that has been broken as we see with these folks. Has there ever been anyone that's just let you down and totally broken your trust? Yes. Yeah, I, I have had my trust broken. It hurts. I feel disappointed. Um, kind of feel mad at them, too. Me, personally, I just stopped talking to them. I think you need to choose your friends wisely, and I think certain situations will let you know whether or not they're your true friend. It's, it's hurtful. You put your, your trust in them, and they break it, and it's like one of the worst feelings in the world. Indeed, we've all been there. We may have trusted somebody with a secret, that they were not to share, and then they did. Or perhaps someone shared something sensitive with you, and you kind of unknowingly ended up sharing it and betraying their confidence. Perhaps you felt a bond of partnership with somebody in which you invested your heart, your time, your talent, thinking you both were doing something really important together, only to find out that wasn't the case, and they were just using you. Let me say that it hurt. It really, really hurt. Perhaps you've been on the other side of that. You've been a part of a group who welcomed someone in, partnered with someone, and then dropped them when some conflict arose or after their usefulness ended, and that person felt terribly betrayed by you personally as well as by the group. Well, sadly, those kinds of things happen way too often, don't they? More often than we'd like in our friendships, in our romantic relationships, in our families, in business, in recreational pursuits, and strategic partnerships and casual groups. We've all experienced those hurts and understand those hurts. But here's the not-to-be-missed truth in all this. If we don't do anything about the hurt that we've experienced in betrayal, what's going to happen is it's just going to assault us every time that situation comes back in our minds. And so maybe one of the most significant choices that we can make in our entire lives It's choosing to free people from hurting us by forgiving them. But forgiving isn't forgetting. It isn't sweeping things under the rug like they never happened at all. No, by forgiving, what happens is the blade of injury is no longer in play. And choosing to free people who have betrayed us, thus we also choose not to hurt them back. Because when we hurt, what do we want to do? We want to hurt them back. We want to retaliate, feeling justified. But we're unaware that the retaliation harms us and hurts us long before it ever gets to its intended target. In fact, in Matthew 18, 21, and 22 in the message, it tells us this. 
Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? Jesus replied, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. And author Lewis B. Smeads makes this chilling observation. Our hate often refuses to die even when those who have hurt us have died. How chilling but true. Of course, most of us are not very comfortable in saying that we hate. But here's the thing. If you wish someone harm, even in the slightest way, you do have a measure of hate in your life. It's hate that makes you dream of getting even. And friends, we do have to do something with that. More accurately stated, we have to choose to do something with that. One day Jesus was trying to let people know about this reality when he told the story in Matthew's 18th chapter, verses 24 through 27 in the NIV. As he began a settlement, the he here refers to an incredibly rich man whom people owed lots of money who one day decided that he was going to settle debts with other people. And so, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he, his wife, his children, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And so, how much did this man's servant owe him? It says in the scripture, 10,000 talents. And one talent equals 16 years of wages. So 10,000 talents would equal 160,000 years of wages. And if we use the median income figure of the United States last year, $50,000, that means the servant owes his master $8 billion. $8 billion. And thus the rich man, when he realized this, said, hey, my servant owes me billions of bucks. Pay me now. And wouldn't it be great to find out how a servant ended up owing him eight billion bucks? So the rich man said, well, if you can't pay, then you, your wife, your kids, all you own, we're going to be sold to repay the debt. But remember what the servant said. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Yeah, right. Give me a week and I'll come up with the $8 billion I owe you. I don't think so. But look, look at what the scripture said next. The servant's master took pity on him. You see what happened here? First, there's utter humiliation being called out publicly by what he owed his master. More money than he could ever pay. And then the fear of hearing the words, life as you know it, is over. You, your wife, your kids, you're going to be sold as slaves until you repay this debt, which you know will never, ever happen. Because it was a massive, massive, massive debt. But then, for reasons we don't understand, the servant's master canceled the debt and let him go. So here's the deal. The master forgave the debt, but did the debt go away? Did for the servant. He didn't have to owe it anymore. But guess what happened with the master? He absorbed the debt. The servant went away scot-free, didn't have to pay anything. But the master absorbed an incredible amount of debt. You see, forgiving the servant his debt costs the master mightily. And whenever debts are forgiven, it costs someone something. And with that in mind, we think of Jesus as he tells this story and talks about the master of the story. It's God, of course. But the other main character in the story, the servant, guess what? It's you and it's me. And Jesus says to you and me, you have accumulated a great debt of sin. And your debt You'll never be able to repay. 
There's not enough good in you. There's not enough good deeds to be done for you to ever repay what you owe me. Every time you sin, it simply adds to that debt. And so what did our master God do? Well, he sent his son to the cross. And on the cross, the son absorbed all of our sins. And then when we simply and always sincerely ask, Lord, have pity on me. God himself says you're clean. You're free. Your sins, your debt are not held against you any longer. You see, Jesus absorbed our debts on the cross because the place of ultimate forgiveness is found on the cross. In this story, the servant was set free, wasn't he? Though his debt was very, very great, the servant was forgiven. It was the grace of the master to set him free. Friends, that's an amazing picture of God and what God does for us. But what happened to the servant? Well, it goes on in Matthew 18, 28 through 30 in the NIV, where we read that when the servant went out, he found his fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. And a hundred denarii is about $20,000 today. And that's compared with the $8 billion that he owed. And so what did he do? Well, he found the servant who owed him $20,000. And he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. You see, he who was forgiven much could not forgive little by comparison. The servant said, hey, I'm not going to make the same mistake my master made. I'm not going to absorb this debt. And that's because authentic forgiveness is never cheap. Authentic forgiveness is never free. When someone hurts you, they are running up a debt in your life. And you know just how much they owe you down to the last penny. The cost is not making them pay, my friends. The cost is not getting even and hurting them back in return. The cost, however, is also the freedom you get when you let go. So here's the deal. The only way we can forgive those who betrayed and hurt us is to understand this, just how much for everything down to the penny God has forgiven us. Only in that place. Will we ever find and will we ever possess what we need to forgive those who have betrayed and injured us? It's when we remember all those times we have run far, far away from God, done all the stuff we wanted to do first, yet after all that, when we come back, God accepts us with loving arms. It's like the father and the prodigal son, when God sees us heading towards him, Even when we're far off, he runs to us. He embraces us to take us home, not accepting us as one of his servants, but accepting us as his child. You see, it's only in that that we understand how much God really loves us. It's only in that when we find resources to forgive. It's only when we live life with that in mind that we will release the hurt, we will release the pain. And the problems that we have from forgiveness in our past. Let me say it's not easy because it's not. Let me tell you, friends, it's actually very hard. And you know that. Yet unless our hearts are cleansed, unless they're changed by God, the memories of our past hurts and our past 
betrayals will be lurking in the back of our mind and their roots will continue to invade true freedom in our lives. My understanding that God has forgiven me despite me enables me to forgive others. We have to be forgiven to forgive others. It's the same principle that flight attendants point us to when readying us for a flight. When they tell us if the cabin loses pressure, the air mask will drop before you. And then what do they tell you to do? Put the air mask on everyone around you before putting it on yourself? No, that's not what they say. They say, put your mask on first so that you can help others. And you know why that's the case? If the cabin pressure drops, you have only about 10 or 15 seconds until you pass out. Why? Because oxygen will be gone quickly as well. So when the mask drops down, you have only one chance to put it on so you can breathe. Because without oxygen to breathe, guess what? You won't be helping yourself and you won't be able to help others. It's the same in our lives when it comes to forgiveness. If we're not forgiven, we can't forgive. And the only way that we'll be able to help others is in that same way. It's to first be forgiven, and then we can forgive others. But let me tell you, it's such hard work, isn't it? Some of you hearing this today may unwillingly have been triggered back in touch with some pain of betrayal, which is causing you anguish right now. Because it's not easy to forgive. It's not easy to forget. But to do so, let me say there are three confusing hurdles that we have to face and jump over for forgiveness to be a freeing force in our lives. And the first is this. We sometimes think forgiving someone means condoning what they've done. But forgiveness is not condoning. We forgive someone. It doesn't mean that we excuse their behavior. We're not saying to them, the wrong you did to me is okay because it's not. Pain someone has inflicted your life is never, ever okay. Forgiving someone doesn't mean that you're tolerating injustice. Injustice needs to be fought at every turn. But when choosing to forgive someone, what you're saying to them is this. What you did to me is wrong. The pain and the hurt I felt is very real. But I'm not going to choose to allow it to hurt me anymore because God has forgiven me. Therefore, I'm going to forgive you. That's the first confusing hurdle. Forgiveness is not condoning. The second is this. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Many people believe if you forgive someone, there is some sort of reconciliation that automatically takes place. But forgiveness does not automatically lead to reconciliation. And sometimes forgiveness can be the first step towards reconciliation, for sure, absolutely. But they're not really the same thing. Sometimes there will never be reconciliation. Sometimes it's not possible because the person who hurt you is blind to what they've done. They just can't see it or they won't see it. But maybe they're far away and there's no connection that you have with that person anymore. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 in the NIV says this, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And what are the operative words in that? If it is possible. Even the author of this, the Apostle Paul, knew there were times when it was not possible. Sometimes a person who hurts you won't acknowledge what they did. And if they don't acknowledge it or confess it, it's time then to let it go. Stop holding it against him because your bitterness is not making you any better. Without trust, there is no relationship. Um, And so forgiveness may or may not lead to reconciliation. And the third confusing hurdle is this. Forgiving is not forgetting. 
Old wives tale says forgiving is forgetting, but it's simply not true. Do you have any scars? I'm sure we all do. And I bet you can remember the circumstances of the big ones that you have. At the time you got them, they probably hurt you. They may have stopped you dead in your tracks. But now those scars, they don't have the ability to slow you down or hurt you anymore. Forgiveness, friends, is not forgetting. It's not the same thing. In fact, we need to forgive precisely because we haven't forgotten. Think about that. We have to forgive because we haven't forgotten. Forgiving is an active choice to let it go, which then leads to the choice to not remember. But choosing not to remember is different than forgetting. Even God does not remember. We see in Isaiah 43, 25, in the New Century Version, which says, I am the one who forgives all your sins for my sake. I will not remember your sins. Does this mean that the all-powerful, all-knowing God who created the world actually forgets my sin? Like, ooh, I can't remember. No, he doesn't forget, but he chooses not to remember and did not hold them against you and me any longer. Forgiveness doesn't mean you forget. Forgiveness doesn't mean you condone. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation. Forgiveness means we choose love over hate. It means that we choose to act towards others in the way that God has acted towards us. Forgiveness is knowing the offense is inappropriate, improper, it's out of line, but deciding to relinquish our feelings of it being entitled to make the guilty pay. You can always forgive because what it means to forgive someone is to let go of the desire to see them hurt. And here's our choice. We can actually live with the bitterness of unforgiveness or we can live in the freedom of forgiveness. Will we continue to let our past choke our present, defeat our future, or will we forgive people? Because here's the deal. If we live hurt, hurt people go on to hurt people. But if we choose to forgive, we will be freed. And free people, free people. It costs a lot to forgive. Friends, it costs a lot more not to. The Apostle Paul says, In Ephesians 4, verse 32, in the New Living Translation, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So there's no clever principles here. As theologian Lewis B. Smedes expressed in this way, when you forgive, you set a prisoner free, only to discover the prisoner is you. This beautifully expresses the story of a woman named Renee who earned her Ph.D. beyond a Ph.D. actually in forgiveness. And listen to Matthew West tell her story. Over the past few years, I've been writing songs inspired by the real-life stories that people sent to me. This one story in particular has had a profound impact on me. It's about a woman who did the impossible, and it made me ask myself, if I could do the same. Renee had four kids. Two of her daughters were twins. Megan was coming home from the beach one night with her best friend when their car was struck by a drunk driver named Eric, a 24-year-old kid. Megan lost her life. Eric killed both girls that were in the car. Renee lost her daughter in an instant. 
Next thing she knows, she finds herself in a courtroom watching this young man, this 24-year-old man, get sentenced to 22 years in prison. Renee wrote to me and said, I now have a mission that I never would have chosen. What she meant by that is that in the years that follow, she began to travel around to schools and churches and different functions, and she would speak about the dangers of drunk driving. But as the years progressed, she felt like something was missing from her presentations. And that's when God put it on her heart that she had not forgiven this man who took the life of her daughter. And so she reached out and did the impossible. She reached out to Eric in prison and said, I forgive you. That young man's life was absolutely changed because this woman forgave him. He said, I can't even forgive myself, and she forgave me. Eric said he found his eternal salvation as a result of this act. One by one, all of Renee's family members followed her lead, and they reached out and expressed forgiveness to Eric. So much so that now they describe Eric as part of their family, like a son to Renee. The story doesn't stop there, though. Renee went to the courts along with her family, and she was able to have Eric's sentence cut in half from 22 years to 11 years. This blew me away. And the reason she did it is so that Eric could have a second chance at life and so that he could join her in their presentations. She told me that now she shares not only about the dangers of drunk driving, but also about the power of forgiveness. Now, the story behind this song is from someone right here in our area. Even, and this is the thing she... Um, she has no idea that, that there's been a song written inspired by her story. I'm in another room waiting to go in there and surprise Renee. I can see her on a video screen. You submitted the story, I know, to uh, to Matthew West. It's a story that needs to be told right. because not for me. It's not about me. It's about God, and yeah. it's about forgiveness. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to chance this. And I sent it in, and I just prayed, you know, God, if this is supposed to happen, then I just, you know, hope that it will. You know, we know Matthew, and uh, he wrote a song. About your story. No way. <laughs> Matthew has sent us the song because he wanted you to be one of the first people to hear it. <laughs> oh my God. Are you ready to hear it? Yes. It's called Forgiveness. It's called Forgiveness. You ever you ever seen him in concert or no, did you? No, and I wanted to see him. I never him could. Personally. Never could. Never seen him. No. Turn around. <laughs> Where are you? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh prisoner free there is no end to what its power can do so let it go and be amazed by what you see through eyes of grace 
The prisoner that it really freezes you Forgiveness Yes, when you choose to forgive, you set a prisoner free. Discover in that process, the prisoner is you. If you want to see a near perfect picture of forgiveness, look on the screen where you see Renee embracing Eric, the young man who killed her daughter. Renee chose forgiveness, and it set her free. Her forgiveness also set Eric free from prison 11 years early where he now joins her in many of her presentations against drunk driving, promoting even more powerfully the gift of forgiveness. So won't you choose to join your story where forgiveness is needed to their story? Will you pray with me? Great God, we thank you so much for your love for us, your grace for us, your forgiveness that came through Christ on the cross. Help us, Father, to never let that go from our consciousness, to realize how much you love us and you care for us. And so, Father, we just pray that you would help us to take that and to transfer it to those around us who have hurt us or betrayed us. We ask, Father, you would help us to receive it fully so we can let go of things that we feel guilty or sorrowful for in our past that just keep staying with us. And so, Father, I pray that as we go today that you would be with us and that your forgiveness would have a greater place centrally in our lives in all that we do and all that we say. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.